Welcome to season two of Black on Shelf, a podcast championing black and brown entrepreneurs with products on the digital and physical shelves. We engage entrepreneurs and supporters through inspired storytelling, relevant resource sharing, and community engagement. Okay, Black on Shelf community, that's you. You are the mighty boss fam. You're bigger and literally stronger, and I'm definitely excited to grow together. I'm your host, Tanaj Ferguson. This is Black on Shelf. All right, let's get into it. All right, so welcome to Black on Shelf podcast. Today we have Barbara Jacquez. Jack. Jack. Yes. Yeah, everybody, Jack. Like shop Jack. <laughs> I got that part right. So we're talking to Barbara Jack and you're Haitian. Yes, Descent. I am Haitian. She's going to talk to us about her background. So she, Barbara is the founder and creative director of Jack, a vegan and clean beauty skincare line available on target.com and direct to consumer on shopjack.com. So we're going to learn mm-hmm. all about this. There's a lot of great topics here. Sustainability, really uh, turning a pain point that you personally have. In her case, a health scare, we'll learn about that and really following your passion. Um, so as we do that, Barbara's going to talk to us more about how did she become this phenomenal entrepreneur that we're so admiring. So Barbara, talk to us about your background. So yes, um, I am Barbara Jacques from Miami, Florida, born to Haitian parents, um, grew up here in South Florida, spent a lot of my summers um, in Haiti went to school in Haiti for a little bit and um, came back here around, around like maybe sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Spent about a, maybe less than a year in Haiti going to school. And then mm-hmm. I just basically grew up all over South Florida from everywhere, from Liberty City, Wynwood, um, North Miami. And wow. then I went away to go to school yep, in Orlando. Okay. Um, transferred out there from UCF to go to USF and I graduated with a communications degree. Okay. Um, both my parents actually are entrepreneurs. My mom, if anybody is of Caribbean descent, did import export, mm-hmm. where you basically I'm Bahamian, so I'm I'm, I'm do you understand? With you. Yes, yes. Um, where you basically she had an auction license. Um, my dad actually mm. had a thrift store here in Little Haiti okay. um, that closed in the eighties, but you she had an auction license where she would go to auction sales, auction auction estates, where she would purchase items and then mm. put them on a ship. We'll put them in boxes. We were her workers. <laughs> <laughs> and she bought everything from shoes, clothes, toys, furniture, and put them on a ship. And then she then sold it to merchants there. So if oh. you've ever had a chance to go to Haiti, you'll see all the women that are out hustling where they're selling clothes, purse, toys, everything. My mom was a person that, or one of the many women that did that. And because she did this very early on in like late 80s, all of 90s until she passed away, it, she was basically one of the few women in Haiti that did this on a massive scale. Hmm. Um, and so a lot of my, my entrepreneur spirit comes from seeing her hustle on yeah. a day to day, um, and seeing her thrive and work hard and grow her business. So yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Do you speak yeah. Creole? Oh yes. I speak I'm yes. very fluent in Creole. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> Cause you went to school there for some time, but you also grew up yes. in, a, in the Haitian household where you all spoke Creole at home. I'm guessing we spoke Creole. So I grew up in a very interesting home, right? My mom came mm. here when she was in her early twenties. So okay. she was very Americanized. Um, we did speak Creole and I did, when I went to school in Haiti, 
for for that year, we actually went to an American school, so we were only allowed to speak English mm. um, because most of the schools in, in Haiti or most of the yeah institutions in Haiti speak French. So since yeah. I didn't speak French, I I went. We were my my younger brother and I were enrolled into an English into an English yeah. school. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was because my mom my mom um, wanted to learn English. And one of the things that she wanted to get rid of was her accent because a lot of people <laughs> thought she was Bahamian. Really? Um, yeah, because of her <laughs> accent. She, um, we were, we, we had to speak English around the house so that she can pick up English a little bit quicker. And she wrote, and she read a lot of novels. And so the only time, most of the times that we spoke Creole in the home, um, were when family members came by, you got in trouble for sure. We got in trouble. They'd be like, bye bye. And I'm like, yes, mommy. <laughs> 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 or when they're having adult conversations, you know, yes. like adult conversations where you aren't. And then, yeah, so basically we did, I did speak Creole and of course our other family members spoke Creole to us, but, um, and my mom was very, she wanted to lose her English accent. Mm. So she enrolled herself and, um, she got her GED and I remember, um, she, uh, enrolled herself in a hair school, which is how I got into beauty, oh. uh, cosmetology school so that her, it was her and her sister. They enrolled in a cosmetology school here in South Florida yeah. so that they can kind of learn the language and learn how to write and speak it. They did that. They graduated, but my mom was like, I need more, I need more. Right. Yeah. And so she, had, she enrolled in one of the high schools here down the street in Miami, not West. And if you're, if you're from Miami, you, you know, you know about the West. Hey. Um, but yeah, so so to kind of help her with her English, we were a very fluent Creolish kind of house where you spoke English and Creole at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And That's it's funny because my nieces and nephews, I have, I have family members in Haiti and my nieces and nephew make fun of my Creole because I have an English accent, but they get it. <laughs> <laughs> they understand. <laughs> yeah. They get it. They get it. Yeah. So you mentioned that your mom was, uh, she went to beauty school to become mm-hmm. a stylist. Did she end, did she end up working at a salon or anything from, from out of that? So she did work at a salon for a little bit, but she just couldn't find a steady job as a cosmetologist, as, as that what's called a cosmetologist. Yeah. Cosmetologist. Stylist. Yeah. You know, little backstory, my mom, I'm one of six. Um, and so my mom was one of those teenage kids that had children while she was a teenager. So she had her first child at 16. Mm-hmm. She had me number five at 23 and she had my younger brother at 26. Okay. And so with that being said, you have all these kids to feed. You have, I would call it overhead, but you have, you know, to maintain a lifestyle or, and then you have kids that are half the kids are in Haiti, half the kids are here. Mm. Um, the money wasn't coming in quick enough. She did work as a housekeeper at one of the hotels, but the money still wasn't enough without having um, a diploma here in the early eighties. And so that's how she got into import export right. because, um, it allowed her to make money quicker and at a, at a much, um, and make more, um, more profit, you know, just make more money quicker, mm-hmm. um, to be, be able to take care of their family. Yeah. So she did that for a little bit, but it didn't last, but I did. It, it does fuel my love for beauty because I was her doll <laughs> and, um, I, I have this funny story where I had um, a teacher in second grade, Miss Williams. I will never forget Miss Williams. And she sent, I, I, I used to talk a lot, so I'm chatty, right? Mm-hmm. And she would send notes home to my mom. We were like, Barbara was talking too much, and blah, blah, blah. We could have been friends in school, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom would practice in my hair because, you know, they have exams, they have enabled right. me to learn how to do certain things 
finger waves, haircuts, braids. And I remember her learning how to do extensions and giving me a bob, like oh. a bob, like a, lo- a long bob. Yeah. Like, what is that called? I can't remember what it's called. And my teacher was done with my mom. She was like, Barbara Jean. <laughs> my last, my, my maiden name is Jean Charles, right? Okay. She would, and she would be like, Barbara Jean, I'm tired of your mama. Mm-mm. I'm sending a note home today. She got to stop playing in your hair, baby. So she sent a note home because my mom, in the process of her giving, giving me the bob, adult styles. she cut my hair. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. And my mom, and I've always been known like an you know, asymmetric how, Rihanna type. Yeah. Cut. Like, yeah. Cut, like cut. She cut the bot. Like she cut it. Like, and my mom has always had this philosophy, like it's hair to grow back, but I don't even think she realized that she cut it when she was burning it. Cause that was from the days you're burning the ends, you know? Oh. And she was just trying to practice on my hair. Girl, when I tell you, I have horror stories from middle school, <laughs> uh, these hairstyles. Cause I was her test dummy. Yes. But um, she sent a home, note home and said, stop playing in this baby's hair. And I was like, she was like, what is this? I said, my teacher told me to give you this. <laughs> she like, mind your business, teacher, Miss Williams. <laughs> yes, Miss Williams was not playing. She was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. You're going through too many hairstyles, baby. Too much. Too, too much. Too <laughs> Fast forward, your your mom, uh, you you kind of get introduced to beauty. I'm sure you accelerated playing with your hair and doing makeup because you're like, uh, let me let me take this responsibility on. <laughs> you're you're kind of making a lot of mistakes here. I got this. Right? What happens from there? You did communications. Where did you think your career path was going to go? So I went into communications, um, and I thought I wanted to work in because I did want to work in PR. Okay. Um, I did want to work in PR and I wanted to work in a not-for-profit sector because I fell into that as doing internships. I remember my, one of my favorite internships was working for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yeah. And I did that for a little bit. And once I left, or and I, and I volunteered a lot. My mom was really big into giving into community. And so that was instilled in me. And so I would volunteer a lot during for the homeless shelters, feeding the homeless, donating clothes. Even when I worked, I, had a, I worked um, for AT&T when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And I would do a lot of clothes drives to donate clothes to Haiti yeah, um, or even to the homeless shelters. And so that was just, it's just still like, it just holds a major part in my heart. So I ended up getting a job working for the Urban League and here in South Florida. And I did work in the communications department, okay. or as they call it, the development department, um, mm-hmm. doing communications, community outreach, event planning, a little bit of PR, a lot of networking. And so that's where um, I excelled. But it kind of what leads into that is, you know, after graduating from college, I don't share this often to story. Both my parents have passed, passed away when I was at the age of 15. Wow, we are so and, near that. Yes, thank you. And having to put myself through school when you and your tw- your teens, you know, or early 15. 20s, the best. <laughs> yeah. Um, like 19, around like 19, 20, right before I went into um, college, because I kind of started college a little bit later, I needed to pay bills, right? I needed to be able to pay my rent. I had a, um, I had a car note at the time. The best jobs for that were here in South Florida was communications jobs, call center jobs, right? Mm. So I've worked for every um, <laughs> every telephone company you could possibly think of. <laughs> You're like, I'm 19 and I'm about to get this money. <laughs> It's the best because, you know, working at the mall, you can only get so much, right? And you you don't have that much experience. You don't know 
you just want to look cute. You want to you want to get your hair done, but you still don't know about showing up on time. You don't understand like the value. <laughs> but, you know, at a call center job, it kind of reeled in because they were very strict mm-hmm. about customer service. They were very strict about signing on. There was very strict about the protocol. And I, I excelled at that. Okay. Um, and then you had to sell. So when I moved to Orlando, I got telemarketing jobs where I had to sell. Some of them were cold calls. Some of them were, um, you know, like eventually I got into the marketing department when I worked for Sprint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that allowed me to um, basically kind of delve into marketing and what that was and what that entailed. And then kind of seeing it from a different perspective, from a business perspective, as opposed to a, a customer's perspective. Um, and being able to understand what quotas are, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and you have being those able to real see, KPIs is not fluffy. Yes. Like, I'm not just getting on the phone with people. I need to have a conversion. Something needs to happen as a result of this call. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you know, you have your customer service voice, so you have to sound a particular way. You have to be <laughs> extremely professional. You have to follow up. Uh, so give us your usual introduction. We we need this since you've worked at all the call centers. <laughs> give us a little <laughs> example of this. <laughs> I can't believe you had me all here talking about oh, this. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay, let me fix my airpiece. I'm going to give you a Jax call. So I'm going to say hello. Hello, and thank you for calling Jax. This is Barbara. How can I help you? So, yes, can I have your telephone number? Can yes. You yes, you can. So I'm calling because I'm looking for the best skincare. I'm having acne and I need help now. I'll be much more than happy to assist you with that. Um, I have a few questions. If you don't mind me asking, what is your first name, please? Oh, oh. Really? Yes. Though, yes. But it, it's part, it's part of like, all, wear all the hats. So Barbara's like, I'm creative director, I'm founder. I'm also on the phone. If you didn't know, that was me. <laughs> a lot of the times customers don't know that they're talking to me because that's the best way for me to find out like what's going on. Right. Um, but this is all amazing by the way. Yes. Thank you. I feel like this is at the core of what Jax is, right. Um, Mm -hmm. being able to understand that I, and it took me a while to realize like a lot of the jobs that I went through in terms of sales, working at department stores, working at, and as a customer service rep, working in just, um, office jobs, yeah. has been the foundation to where, where I am today, because if it were not for those jobs, I wouldn't understand the importance of customer service. I wouldn't understand the importance of meeting a quota. I wouldn't understand the importance of having things this particular way, particularly being a black owned business. Yeah. Where we have that stigma of being a black owned business. Cause a lot of people, when they see me in person, they're like, Oh my gosh, I didn't know you were black. And I'm just like, yes. Mm-hmm. And skilled, multi-skilled, you know, yeah. something I want you to dig into because I think your story is a great example and your perspective on this is really amazing. You know, I'm I'm sure there were times when you were like, man, I really wish I didn't have to do all these types of jobs. I wish I could just be more straight and narrow and linear. Like I could just go to school and get this one thing or not have the struggle. But ultimately for you, it turned into a ton of experience that most people don't have. And again, even though it was more hard work, look at you're able to pour all of this back into your business. What would you say to folks who feel like their journey is really frustrating or not as linear as they might want to be? Maybe they started school late or have to Mm -hmm. do this unconventional path. They're not doing the high paying job. They're at the call center or doing something they don't think they really want to do today. What would you say to them about really leveraging that moment and seeing that as still a path forward? I think everything happens for a reason, right? With me having to take care of myself at a very early age and kind of 
put my big girl panties on. And even me starting school extremely late um, and graduating late, I think everything happens for a reason because oftentimes we have our own vision or idea of what the life that we want, but God has that plan. And sometimes, and I hate to say this because it's the salesperson to me, because I've been trained to think like when that door closes, you find another way in. Yeah. But oftentimes, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a tourist, I'm very stubborn. I'm trying to knock on that door 10 different ways, but that door may not be for you and something better yeah. might be on the other side. Because in my head, when I went to college, I was thinking, I want to work in communications. And I didn't know what that meant. I just knew eventually I wanted to work in PR and I wanted to this, I wanted to do that, but that was not the plan or the, the path laid out for me. Mm-hmm. And understanding that working at Publix as a cashier hit allowed me to get past my shyness to be able to speak to people. Yeah. And then working that got me the job to work at Nordstrom so that I was able to speak to people eloquently and and not be afraid to sell to people in a way because I had my goals to meet at the end of the night. Right. Mm -hmm. And then being able to sell to people on a call or just be able to pitch my business comfortably and professionally without, without them knowing who that other person is on the other line, but get lost in the story, right. Mm-hmm. Or get lost in the value that we're presenting so that they can trust the company that they they've never heard of. And so these things that you're going through in life and as, and as, as cliche as it may sound, it really is true is leading you to whatever it is that, because I didn't wake up saying, I want to own a skincare brand. No, I done, honestly, it started off as a hobby of me trying to find a way to deal with what I was going through when, with, when I had, when I learned I had my tumor. Right. And then it was actually my husband and other people around me that was saying, this is, you're passionate about this, or you're really good at this. And I think people gravitate towards you when you talk about it. And I think there may be something here. And I was like, listen, I need to clock in. I need to pay off these student loans. I'm not worried yeah. about selling to nobody. Right. Like I really just wanted to work a nine to five and understanding that the plan was so much bigger. And it took me even realizing it, like praying, like, is this what, is this what, is this the path that I'm supposed to be on? Cause I mm-hmm. kept fighting it, you know, having other people being able to see something in you that you're passionate about, or even seeing the skills that you may not necessarily yes. see that you may have because you live, because I'm, I'm, I can sometimes be an introvert, but when it's time, I know it's time for, for that part of me to come out and speak yeah. um, about myself and my business. But it took me a while to own that because I didn't want to share my story in the beginning because it was something private, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think oftentimes, I think now the narrative is different where the, what, what is being communicated to the public is to share your story and own that story. But when I started this about seven, eight years ago, yeah. We don't we don't talk about what what you're going through in terms of it was kind of shush shush. Okay, this person might have a tumor. This person might be going through chemo. This person might have cancer. Or this person may be going through something. That is an intimate thing that you and your family share or know about. And that's even if you want to share with certain people parts or parts of mm-hmm. your family, right? Mm-hmm. Now, now everybody's telling me, "Oh, girl, I got leukemia. Oh, girl, this, I that." But that's part of their story because we yeah. now have drilled it in them to share that. Mm-hmm. But the path that you're on is meant to be on the path that you're on. And oftentimes you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right. And you may not understand it. Um, but, you know, I feel like our father, our God has a way of kind of gearing, like shifting you in that direction, whether you see it or not. And then blessings start to pour in yeah. when you start to um, 
come into your own or walk that path of the mission that you're supposed to be on. Yeah. So I know we alluded to some of your origin story around the tumor, but talk to us like, what are the events that really led you to think about creating a vegan skincare line that was, you know, not toxic. Talk to us about sort of what was happening in your life at the time that really led you to this business. So at the time, my husband, James, and I decided we were decided we were going to start our family. I think it was like a year and a half after I graduated from school. And um, I've always been into the kind of holistic natural lifestyle. I've been natural now for about 22 years. Wow. Um, I've had everything from logs, twist, puff, braids, girl, <laughs> you think about it. Yeah. Um, but I was that girl that was all about her hair. And when it came to natural products, I knew what ingredients to avoid, right? And once I learned that I was expecting and then immediately finding out that I had this ovarian tumor, I didn't make the connection in terms of clean products because here I am. I'm just thinking, okay, let me, um, let me just find out what's going on with my body because I didn't even know that I had fibroids for one. And then finding out that I'm pregnant and I have a tumor, mm-hmm. it was like very depressing because well, one part, your life is about to start being this young woman who just graduated from school. Your life is about to start. You've got to have this start this family. And then now you have this terminal ill news where they don't know if it's benign or not. I'm on bed rest. I'm three weeks, I'm three weeks pregnant. I don't even know, you know, I'm, I don't, I, I can't really enjoy my pregnancy. And here I am thinking like, oh, I will work out three, four times a week. I eat healthy. You know, I'm, I'm assuming that I do yoga. I'm doing this meditation thing. I'm, I'm thinking I'm living this healthy lifestyle, mm-hmm. but there were other outside factors like my family. You know, I didn't know yeah. that my, my mom actually had, had, um, she had fibroids as well. Right. Mm. And so that part was hereditary. Yeah. Number two, I, me being this, this, um, I love information. Right. So I just started learning about my tumor, what the name was, just started researching as much as I possibly could reading about medical journals because the internet wasn't giving me much of anything. And, um, stumbled upon a medical journal talking about how black women and black children, as a matter of fact, are exposed to twice the amount of toxins and beauty products and skincare products. Mm. And, um, I started, I was like, "Hmm, let me read some more. I still have a copy of this medical journal that I read. And it just started going down the list of all the ingredients. Most of them were in the hair care products. Um, but a lot of them were, you know, just linked to car were carcinogenic allergen ovarian linked to ovarian issues. And I just went to Whole Foods at the time, being my little bougie self. You Hello, know, that was where we were going when yes. health. Okay, go there. Okay. You can find something. Well, Whole Foods. And at the time, when I lived in Orlando, there were farmers yeah. markets, but they didn't sell body products, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was I was in that aisle for a good hour and everybody kept coming up to me. and was like, do you need help? I'm like, nope, here's my, here's my sheet. <laughs> sheet my hand and I'm just like, okay, this ain't good. This ain't good. And it was only, I think, one or two products. And then the other thing is that you want to feel like, because part of self-care is, you know, feeling like you bought something with pride and that it looks aesthetically beautiful and it makes you feel beautiful as you're using it, right? Definitely. And I'm looking at this product. I'm like, what is this? (laughs) I'm just going to be real with you. I'm like, what is this? And it smells, you know, smelled a little funny. And I I bought a bag full of soap bars and I was like, I got shea butter. So let me just use that on my skin. I already use it now. I'm good. We got the lotion part down. I can use some oils. 
<laughs> you know, but let's start off with the soap, let's you know, and, and toothpaste wasn't even an option at the time, you know, that's true. And I didn't want to take it back to the, to the charcoal. Cause I know when I grew up in Haiti, they used to make fun and be like, you could, you could scrub your teeth with charcoal and it'll make it white. And I'm like, I don't want to take it back that far. You know, not yet, <laughs> not just yeah. yet, you know, <laughs> which is the norm now. Right. Yes. And came, so, those, those old things are coming back and they're all rebranded. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So here I was and I took it. We were we were using the products and my husband, James, broke out. He had an eczema breakout oh. and I don't have eczema. And I didn't, he didn't even know. I don't he, he didn't even know he had eczema. But what happened was, was that the product that we brought was the shelf life. Mm-hmm. It was rancid. Okay. And so he had an allergic reaction because he used bad soap. Mm-hmm. And so. I was like, bruh, like we got to do something. You know, I went down the rabbit hole of learning so much about natural products. And I went down the rabbit hole of no preservatives. And I just was like, this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I launched originally with just products that I was making inside my homes, like experimenting with soap bars, experimenting with melt and pour. And I was like, this is not, this is, this is not it. Um, How how long ago was this? When, when was your sort of like, when would you, when, when you consider the inception of Jax? The inception of Jax happened about 10 years ago. Yeah. Cause my daughter just turned 10. And Mm -hmm. so I was doing this pregnant in my kitchen, in my tiny kitchen, ordering products off of everywhere I can find on Google, trying to find natural ingredients, going to as many different farmers markets that I could here in South Florida. Cause by the time we had moved back home to be close to my family so I can deliver and, you know, just say my goodbyes if necessary. Mm-hmm. And then I just started just, it was the part about making your own products. I think, which is why it's so common now is that there's a form of therapy in it, yeah. right? You get lost you get lost in trying to calculate, you get lost in sourcing, you get lost in the process of making, and then even having to wait for the product to get ready to use. Like for example, soaps take about eight weeks to cure Mm -hmm. you taking that much pride. Like, Oh my gosh, I made this. I want to see if it works. Right. And if what, when you're, when you're bathing with it, it's even another kind of sensory experience. And that was part of my therapy of dealing with what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And then I looked up and I had like a bunch of products all over our house. And I started giving them away as Christmas gifts and birthday <laughs> gifts. And my husband was like, yo, this is expensive. You got to get rid of this. And we can't go through all this soap, right? And so our, our family, very close family, when we call our family, mm-hmm. she was like, hey, I think you should start this at the farmer's market. It's like $30 to set up. And I started selling it at the farmer's market. Aww. And started moving the products. Like I was knee deep in the craft. I was making cupcake soaps. I was making... I had people contacting me to make, um, what is it called? Bath, like um, wedding favors, oh, the, birthday okay. favors. Mm-hmm. I was knee deep in it. Wow. Um, and I was like, you know what? I need to go back to work. <laughs> Let me get a job. <laughs> <laughs> I got these student loans. Let me get my life together. All the um, way. And so I did that moonlighting. I moonlighted doing that. Even at the events at the Urban League, I would set up a table working the events, had a table and I was like checking people out. I was like, girl, you, you got to get the shea butter. Come on now. The sales it. girl in her was like, I can do both. I, can I was doing both. And I could sell yes. myself. <laughs> and on the weekends, I had my husband there and his best friend was there. We had the baby. We were selling it, trying to move product. But what that did was that was market research because the things yeah. I learned very early on that the things that I liked were not some of the things that the masses like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, do you have lavender? Do you have orange? Do you have this? Do you have that? And I was like, no. And they're like, well, we use this and it didn't feel as good. And then we use that. And so I would go back and reformulate it. Building my small community here in South Florida. Yeah. Just trying to learn about 
just moving product a lot quicker, ultimately. And I was selling the product. And one of the young ladies um, that was hosting the product, she was like, I heard your story. I think you should share it. And I was like, hmm? <laughs> what? I, don't, I didn't even tell my family. Some of my family, you want me to share my story? So I eventually went up and I shared my story. And that's when I realized that a lot of women that were in the room, like 250 women that were in the room, were going through something and could relate, right? But number one, they didn't even know about the effects of the toxins and how prevalent it was in the beauty community when it comes to Black women. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're into beauty and you're into hair, the beauty supply store is like a second home to you. You know what kind of hair you want. You know about these shades, you know about this lipstick, you know you're gonna you gonna find two dollar mascara. You gonna you it's it's your place, especially if you're on a budget. And so to to learn that my safe haven was a t- you know, was not was didn't include some of the cleanest products for us, but it was easily accessible everywhere else. The the, the light bulb came on, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's when I started to realize somebody said to me, you know, this is bigger than you. And you don't realize that you have something in you that a lot of people don't have. And sharing your story is the vehicle that you're going to share this message. Um, Yeah. And so that's how I just started to eventually, I think about within that year, I quit my job. (laughs) I quit my job, my full-time job, which, you know, I wouldn't advise to anybody because girl. Keys. Um, All right. Give us the keys. Number one, right? I had it. So I, I quit my job, but I had an agreement with my spouse that I would, if it didn't pop off within the first year, I would go back to working for myself. The problem is, is when you work for yourself for so long or you get the taste of it, you don't want to work for nobody else. Go back. <laughs> so you right? have to make this pop off. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is that, you know, you have to do it in a way where, because now I'm hustling is and the hustle I did, you know, re, I, we were, we were making strides. Right. But I didn't, ha- I had a, I had a small amount of money saved, but we went through that really quickly. Right. And, you know, having to have that discussion because lucky I am lucky that I, I was able, I'm able to do this journey with, with someone because most people aren't mm-hmm. and having to decide, ask myself, do I want to deplete the little bit of money that I have in my 401k for this business? How am I going to do this? And where is this, where is this capital coming from? And at the time, mind you, this was very early. It's like, you know, like 28, 27, 2016-ish, right? I didn't think like, oh, Barbara, just pitch to investors. I didn't even know that was, I heard people doing it, but I'm thinking of it as in terms of like larger corporations, right? Mm -hmm. So all I'm thinking about is just trying to sell as much as possible so that we can make a return on the investment. And mind you, I think we only started with like $1,000 to start the business. And that did not even include the amount of money that I already spent ordering all the other stuff that I was ordering. <laughs> For your so research that, prior. <laughs> right. Yeah, my research, Tupperware, ordering things from like not understand, just ordering things from Amazon, not ordering it from wholesale suppliers. Mm-hmm. You know, my mindset went into hustle mode and I started hosting parties at my house and going to girls parties like spa parties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sharing my story and doing facials and doing that and doing as many local events as possible to get the brand name out there and to get regular girls to, to buy into it. But what I also learned very early on, and I'm not sure if the market, I know I realize that the market is very particular here in South Florida, is that people, people don't care to buy from regular folks. It wasn't cool to buy from locals at the yeah. time. And they were like, girl, what you doing? What is, why are you selling soap? Like, oh, this is cute. <laughs> so you're having a heyday today, but back then it was like, I'm an entrepreneur. And they're like, why? 
they're like, oh, this is great. That's cute. This, this is great. But what do you do full time? Okay, then. Oh, you mm-hmm. got this clay mask? Oh, this, this, Especially this is how much? Caribbeans, right? We, we do professional type things. And you always wonder about those who have their own clothing or hair or, or items. You're always worried about them, right? Because our families have programmed us to do the teacher, lawyer, doctor, you know, those very yes. reliable, predictable so roles. So, <laughs> so this is how I feel. I feel like there's two Caribbean people. You have that one and then you have the one that lives that I tell life, right? That all, all things natural. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're like, sister, and you know, um, I have this natural soap. It cures herpes. Of cancer, X, Y, and Z. You have those folks, right? right. Those were the ones that were easy to drink, sell. Drink this. Yes. 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 And then you have the other ones that are like, what? Girl, what's wrong with you? I use Dove, right? <laughs> They're like, oh, I use Dove. Yeah, I use, oh, that's, it's I got TV, that a lot right? Caribbeans yeah. love brands. They love their Irish spring and they love Dove. They do, mm-hmm. right? And I'm just like, like, I had this one lady because we used to sell a lot of shea butter. And she was like, baby, what's the difference between this shea butter and the one in the beauty supply store for $5? And I literally had to explain to her <laughs> what it was. Yeah. Now you know what the difference is. Now I still have Less to explain to the people. Less processed and everything. Yes. Yeah. It's the raw, it's the raw, it's the raw product. But, you know, she was like, baby, girl, I ain't buying this from you. And that's real. Because real, I real. had to overcome that barrier and understanding that part of my strategy had to be education. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and overcoming those no's and understanding not everybody's going to get it. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious. So you've pretty much been in the game for like 10 years. The beauty industry has changed. Also, people's awareness of what's natural, our access to it has also increased. Like a lot more of these um, types of products, ingredients are accessible. How, from your vantage point, how have things changed? What are what are things you think we've overcome within the industry? And what are things where you're, you still feel like mm, we really haven't gained that much growth in this or that area. What's your vantage points on some of those trends and it's kind of the state of the industry? So I feel like what's happening is the tribes because before you have your tribes. And when I say the tribes, you have your tribes of the naturals, you have your tribes of the, the eco wellness girls, you have your tribes well back then. And then you had your mass mass market. Where, you know, for me, me selling one at a time wasn't the most efficient because it was, it was smart, but it wasn't the most efficient because I was hitting more of the masses and not my direct consumer. Mm -hmm. Whereas girls that were already introduced to living a more conscious, being a more conscious consumer were more easier to sell. Right. And so very early on, when I got online, when I realized I need to get online and find who my demographic is, um, I learned the tribes, right. Mm-hmm. You have your tribes of women because a lot of people would say, why aren't you telling this to black women? And I'm like, I am. It's just they're harder to find in my community mm-hmm. because I had left from one city and I came back home and I'm trying to reintegrate myself into the community and finding where this was because I left as a teenager. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I find that with the natural industry, the Internet has allowed the clean beauty industry to kind of messaging of self-care and understand reading the ingredients to take over through marketing. And these yeah. tribes who've already have been doing it are also those vehicles to share that and spread that information. Mm-hmm. Where before doing it, where let's just say, for example, I would pop up at Miami Fashion Week. While that isn't my demo, I was just thinking, I need to get the logo out. I need to do marketing. Let right. me get as many people to see it. People were like, oh, this smells good. Let me get a massage. Okay, thank you. Sign up for your newsletter. You know, 
Whereas yeah. now everybody knows it's kind of the, the standard where yeah. no SLS, no sulfate, no, you know, no X, Y, and Z in the products. It's now the norm, but that has and they're even time. They're looking for that too, right? A lot they're of looking them are for it. coming to um, you. Some people, yeah, some people even still don't know what it means, right? But they just don't want it in there. Some people okay. don't don't know what vegan is and they still want vegan products. Some people still don't know, you know, they'll be like, I just want to make sure it's cruelty free. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. That's good. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I feel like the more we talk about it in terms of the industry, the more people are being able to receive the information and understand why, where it was just this one weird black girl who's trying to sell me natural products, you know, because it's very funny. I remember when I worked at Sprint in my early 20s, it was a young lady in there. I don't know if she was Jamaican, but she had the wicks. You know what wicks okay. are, right? Yeah. Yeah. And being from South Florida, I've seen very eclectic women on different groups of people because, you know, this is the Mecca. You get to meet yeah. people from all over. But this was my first time seeing like a young lady with wicks in a prof- profession. First of all, a young lady with wicks and then having her in a professional environment. Mm-hmm. And she had the most calming aura about her and she had this very kind of like mother earth look five yeah 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 and she was selling soaps at the time and I was just like just like you where your parents was like girl if it ain't in packaging it ain't it ain't say dove or iris spring don't 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 go near it (laughs) and I was like Barbara you about this natural life why don't you go support her and I'm just like I don't know enough information right right but I'll I'll support her from afar you know (laughs) but what that taught me was, was that because I didn't know and understand, but she had a customer base in there where she was selling, I believe it was goat milk soap or something like that, or milk soap. I was just like, oh, she said what she said. She's doing good over there. Okay, I'm gonna just I'm just go to I'm just gonna go to Whole Foods, you know, because it just it just legitimizes yeah. it for me. Yes, yes. But it had to start from somewhere, not understanding that those 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 companies on the shelf at Whole Foods have their own beginner story, right? True. And yeah. they may even be the ones that look like the hippie, they may even be the one that have that earth energy. But because it was already on the shelf, that legitimized it for me, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that was one of the barriers that I had to overcome here. And I felt like the beauty industry has helped because of the many different subgroups and groups and tribes online being able to champion. And I think the the messaging of self-love and self-care help drive that message and understanding yeah. why it's important just right now even more. to, yeah. But even more, and I would say this comes to me. Remember that case with Johnson and Johnson where that woman who had the cancer mm. and she she won the case and that kind of also feel like legitimized what everybody was saying people's concerns yeah yeah people concerns because just being black not even being from the caribbean we live with baby powder mhm yeah even till this day when you go to the caribbean you see a girl powdered up all over the neck right? all over the neck you know i remember <laughs> i went to um, jamaica a few years back and i was like what is this on her neck like Oh, she's still wearing this baby still, powder. Right. Still because happening. that's how you regulate the Keep temperature cool when you're outside. Yeah. Fresh. <laughs> and you bathe your baby in baby powder, you know, and this thing that you're using on your child or this thing that you're using on a daily basis is, you know, causing harm was linked to this woman being sick and winning and being able to prove that. I think that also drove the message even more. Yeah. Like not all of the big brands are, you know, everything about what they do is perfect. They have the legitimacy. They have a lot of trust and yes, they have big research teams, but even them, you know, they're not infallible to maybe their products, not being the most perfect things out there. They're not infallible to that. Right. Well, they, said. they, yeah, they exactly. themselves can fall to, oh, this over time caused some harm to people. 
maybe not think, intended, but still it shows that, oh, they're not perfect just because they're on the shelf and large and in charge. And I also feel like with this over time, we're now holding these bigger brands accountable, um, absolutely accountable, right? Mm-hmm. Because everybody is now a scientist and they want to read the back of labels and dissect it. And then, you know, now you're holding these brands accountable. And now, you know, five, six, seven years later, this is now the norm where everybody has now a clean initiative. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely one of the things I think the competitive landscape for clean beauty is growing rapidly. But I also know from some other conversations, we still have to be careful because just like with greenwashing, I think clean washing, I don't know if that's the word for it, but essentially like not letting the packaging or certain keywords make you think it's all there. You still have to do that due diligence and say, hmm, is it actually sustainable if that's what I care about? Is it actually whatever claims I'm being told? Is it how how deep is that? I know you made some decisions as a part of your product um, to put it in glass and in um, recyclable packaging to use paper for your labels. Talk to us more about some of the design around why you made some of those choices for your product line. I'm happy you mentioned that because I do know and realize right now clean is being is under fire in terms of ambiguousness of the t- the fear mongering marketing. And that has been a result of just random businesses and even big businesses that are doing the greenwashing and the greenwashing is mm-hmm. the misleading of marketing, right? Yeah. To get consumers to purchase the products. But at the end of the day, remember I told you very early on, I fell into mm-hmm. that box of no preservatives. Yeah. The more I started learning about formulations, the more I started learning about science. Water is a, water is a chemical. Everything is a chemical. Everything is a chemical. Yeah. And that's what we don't realize is that a plant is a chemical, right? And the essential oils is a chemical. You can't put essential oils directly onto your skin. It needs a carrier oil so that it can dilute it. And I think that is the missing component is that the way things are formulated right now in terms of clean or just things are formulated or a plant base and it's like plant no chemicals, plant based, but it's like the plants are made of chemical components. It's on, it's on the periodic chart, which means exactly. That's it like a, is yes, a component, it is, it is. right? But there are, there are brands that have just water and straight preservatives. So I understand yeah. that. Right. And yeah. there isn't any, I've, I'm even surprised still to this day that there are products that are just made with no plant, plant components, but then there are products that are made with plant components. And then there's no preservatives. Like if you're, how is it going to sit on the shelf? If you're in the shower, how is, what about mildew? What about yeah. shelf life? What about yeah. rancidness? And I feel like that is the missing component to talk about where everything is a chemical, um, but we're talking about clean in terms of transparency, clean in terms of labeling, cleans in terms of um, sourcing, right? Yep. And then, you know, what is your intention? Is it just to move these products or is it to actually um, be more result driven? Because a lot of these products where, you know, some of them are result, a lot of them are result driven, right? Where mm-hmm. they but work a lot quicker. Efficace. Some are not efficacious though. Yeah, right. exactly. And then the biggest, you know, before I answer your question, the other biggest problem with, with natural products is that they smell good and they feel good, but do they really work? Yep. Right. Um, let's just say, for example, you, you grew up in the Island or just, just being a black, you know, you get sick and your mama go get some bush tea outside it's going to take a few hours for that to kick in. Yeah. You know, you, you, I, I'm, I'm sure you've had your experience where you've probably been sick and they were lathering your body up with all types of crazy stuff. And you're like, why are they beating me with leaves 
Why are you making me drink this nasty? So now, in the Bahamas, we don't beat with leaves, but no, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Yes, yes. yes. But the you Sarah C I mean. is a big one. I don't know Listen. if y'all have that. You know, Sarah C, like yes, the, uh, the herb, the, the, the herb that grows, it grows. Yes, yes, it grows everywhere here. The Sarah C heals everything. So you know, quote unquote, <laughs> it heals everything. It heals you know acne. what? The, the, the effect of it in terms of like the placebo effect is large because you really do think you're like, I'm good. I had Cersei. Girl. The placebo girl, effect is up. amazing. Yes. <laughs> we probably Cersei, really I, should study some Cersei. Listen, I've had people tell me like, you don't got Cersei soap? And I'm like, bro, like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about right now? Like putting in every, put it in everything. Put it in everything. So <laughs> Your parents will go off to the fence and they'll boil this and be like, drink this. And I'll be like, can I put a little sugar in it? No, the sugar is <laughs> bad for you. You know, but those things, you know, back to what also, I was saying. Also, the those sugar things, is not going to help with bitter Cersei at all. It no, is not going to help. No, it's just to just chug it, right? You yes. got to chug it. Hold your nose, but chug it. The difference is, is that, you know, those natural products take time. Yeah. Right? But if you're taking care of yourself the whole time you're living, you won't have to use these extreme products. And I'm not saying chemicals aren't bad because we need them, right? You need chemicals in medicine. You need chemicals in X, Y, and Z. You need preservatives. But I think the goal is to live a healthy and wholesome life so that you don't have to, right? In terms of like our packaging, what I realized is that how can I say that I'm clean or green Mm -hmm. and I'm using plastic? Mm -hmm. And then also factoring in our carbon footprint. That's when I started learning about carbon footprint and our sourcing partners. And also because a lot of our ingredients if you've probably seen our ingredients, we have jackfruit, pineapple, hibiscus, yeah, coconut. Really ingredients. Recognizable um, even. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I wanted to use things that were local or that were that I knew personally because you can only use um, some of the same ingredients but so but so much, right? And how and I asked myself, how can I make jacks uniquely different? And I am different. I'm I am unique. So why not use the things that I know and research yeah. them in a way? But how can they say that they're green and they're in a plastic container? And I had a customer ask me that one time. She was like, this is plastic. And I was like, yeah, it helps with packaging. It helps with shipping, blah, 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 blah. And she was just like. To walk the walk. Yes. (laughs) And so for me to do that, I had to. Yeah, exactly. It may cost a little bit more because it's in glass packaging. It may cost in in a little bit more because you may have to do that extra step. But the. As, as a matter of fact, you don't even need to do the extra step because it's it's uh, sustainable, right? So you can recycle it. You can put it in a trash or re- put it in a recycling bin, excuse me. And it goes back into, it just gets reused. Whereas opposed to their, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. In the past 10 years, the evolution of sustainable packaging has evolved. Oh, it's to big the point, time. And it's still evolving. And some of the things that I've learned that are coming out has just been phenomenal. But going back to the basics of just glass, there's a level of quality there that when you receive a product in glass packaging, you know, your money is well spent, right? You know, that if let's just say you have that box, that box container, Mm -hmm. you can put it in the recycling bin and it's not just going to, uh, you know, cause my husband gets on me because he's like, you don't know how to recycle. And I'm like, dude, I know how to recycle some, even stereo, like styrofoam, you can't recycle that. Right. Right. Most cities are getting away, doing away with plastic bags because you know they're they're a nuisance to the environment but just those little things um like for example in our home we recycle we live in a city where it forces us to recycle which i right. love yeah but when people come over i'm just like don't put that in the trash please don't put that in the trash we have right. another bag right here yes <laughs> it's just the little things right that will mm-hmm. help because when i'm gone i would want my kids kids to be able to live in an environment that was not torn down or just 
you know, destroyed, yeah. destroyed. It just reminds me of, of it. if you ever, if you grew up here, you know that there was a campaign in the early nineties and you know, not to dump trash or or just to pollute. And I think that messaging has gotten lost Yes, where people are just, they just don't care anymore in terms of taking care of the, the community that you live in. Um, but thinking about the long terms in terms of mother earth and what that looks like in terms of life cycle, mm-hmm. water, using things just to dispose of it and throw it away. Just no. So we wanted to, I wanted to make sure that sustainability and the reason why I keep looking over here because that's my board, like where we have all our <laughs> you pillars. Have all your stuff on there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My pillars um, that we were very transparent about making sure that we were using glass bottles and people were complaining about the price, but we had to explain to them that this, there's a reason why it's this way, you know, and understanding that you can actually reuse. We have customers reusing the products and people, a lot of our customers, because our boxes are soft touch, they'll yeah. keep the packaging and reuse that as well, or just keep it on their dressers. But mm-hmm. understanding that there, there's a level of responsibility that once it leaves me, goes on to the customer to to help take care of this earth, you know? Yeah. Not to sound yeah. like a little. I, I love that more of us, you know, we've had a few, uh, a good number of guests who really focus on sustainability. And I love that it's not just uh, white people conversation. You know, I think so many uh, brands today that are black and brown owned are thinking about sustainability, are thinking about better. And I think one of the things from our community, we would say that, oh, even recycling back in the day, you would say all of that was like white people things. But as we all start to realize that we deserve all of those things, understand why we're doing it and say, hey, we want that for ourselves, our community, our future. It's now something we're seeing embedded into more businesses and more causes for our community. I love to see that. You know what I feel like, just to kind of add a minute, because if, if you're from the Caribbean, you already know, recycling is actually embedded in the community. And the reason why I say that, not just in plastic bags, where we recycle the plastic bags, make them into trash can, trash <laughs> right. bags, right? For the bathroom. <laughs> right? I, if you go to the Caribbean, there's a huge recycling thing where the cans and even the glass bottles, when they re, they put it back into like there's a there's a recycling plant yeah. where the glass bottles are recycled, cleaned, disinfected, and then they put they just reuse it again. Even the cans, yeah. like they'll you'll see giant you'll see community members that are just collecting stuff and putting it putting yeah. it so I that mean, they can go get our, most of our grandmothers have cookie containers made out of tin that they've repurposed into a jewelry box or if a product like tomato sauce came in mm-hmm. glass, they're using that as a cup <laughs> or, or as a storage container. Listen, or listen, if you still get, if you still go to your parents' house and they're sending food home, you about <laughs> to get that in a butter container. Okay. <laughs> You're going to get that in the, what is it? Butter clock? Cause I haven't bought this butter. I haven't container. bought this butter, yet. but I know the container. It's yes. You won't get it in the butter container. <laughs> yes. You're going to get your Chinese. You're going to get the Chinese containers. That Those. is recycling. They're not, and you can't throw it away. They're going to be like, where's my container? And you'd be like, yo, like we can get Tupperware. And they're like, bring this us back is, my container. Yeah. <laughs> this is Tupperware. That is sustain living sustainable instead of throwing it yeah. away. And they'll take that, like you said, the spaghetti jar and they'll put their spices in there and mix it up. And that's in the fridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are, th- these are the things our community is doing. So I'm curious. At what point did you elevate your packaging and make it so professional and awesome? I just want the boss fam to to understand the process of iterating and how it may not start off. You know, you were hustling and selling at events and now your product is on target.com and on your own website and expanding, right? Um, At what point did you 
formalized some of these things and were able to get to that next level? What are the same things that went into that type of growth? I'm happy you asked this question because I think a lot of the time we want, when we go into business, you have an idea of what your business, what you want your business to look like and um, feel and make it aesthetically pleasing. And initially, because I wasn't really, that wasn't a thing then, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I wasn't even thinking about doing it seriously. I'm going to tell you a quick story. But when I did it, true story, my logo, I bought it off of a young lady. A young lady made it for me on Etsy and I bought it for like 40 bucks. Mm -hmm. Wow. I paid her, I think, $100 to design my packaging, kind of gave her the, the three words in terms of the feel. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, what colors do you want? And I'm like, I'm from the Caribbean, girl. Give me all these colors. Give me all the colors, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and she hand-painted. She's like, you know, it's natural. So she hand-painted some. So she, she, she hand-painted the labels and she put them on the screen mm-hmm. or screen printed them. I think that's what it was. And then I had the different packaging. And I was just like, initially before that, I was just using craft paper from Michael's to wrap them up with a little bit of string um, mm-hmm. and selling and selling it that way. And when I started to realize that this was a viable product, I, one of my mentors, he, I was like, he asked me what my goal was. And he told me straight up, he was like, you're targeting a particular, because I was targeting me, right? Yeah, yeah. He said, let me ask you a question. Would you buy this from you? He was like, Dead serious. Older, older Jewish. And people. after the story you told us about the lady selling <laughs> selling the products, you were like, what that is? I'm a, I'm a supporter yes. from afar. We know you wouldn't buy it from you. Yeah. I mean, and this was before then, right? Yeah. So I was like, no. And he's like, so why would you want to sell this at this price point when your packaging doesn't say quality? Mm. Right? It looks like you were making it in your kitchen. You threw something together because that's what I was doing. Yeah. Um, and while I did have my little friends and family purchasing after a while, your friends and family are not going to purchase anymore unless they really love, love, love the product. But they're going to they gonna go out to the store and buy their products because they don't have to go through you. You know, I went through, I think, five different iterations of my packaging. Um, and I still feel like we're going to go through another one at some point. Mm. Um, the first the first one, I was just like, oh, I'm not emotionally tied to it. The second one, I was like, OK, the third one I did it was catching eyes, right? Because then I started thinking of it in terms of a marketer. Like yeah. what is visually appealing? He said that the, he wouldn't buy it for me. Why would he buy? It? And I was selling the, bro- the products at like five, five and $6. I really wasn't selling it. Um, I was just trying to move product, yeah. right? Um, and he, this was an older gentleman who worked at, who worked at Estee Lauder mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s. And he, he was like, formulation means nothing. He said, packaging is everything. Mm-hmm. Right. He's like in your marketing. So he's like, you got to catch them very early on. And it wasn't like I got it right. It's me as I'm evolving and growing also because I have my own visual. But understanding that what Barbara likes may not be what everybody else likes. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but it's about moving the product, but catching this customer's eye and being able to stand off the shelf next yep. to my competitors. Yeah. What would make this person pull this before pulling that? Yeah. Right. And understanding that I needed to invest a little bit more every time because I was only working with a limited budget, right? And then number two, um, I needed to be able to put as much information on there without making it look crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but still making it, you know, like, oh, girl, I like this, you know? And once I got it right with, if you ever Google Jacks, 
you'll see our white packaging where we had yes, white packaging. I've seen that one, yeah. Um, that kind of put us on the map a little bit. You know, yeah. it did not even a little bit, a lot of it. A That's lot, when yeah. everybody started catching on. And I wasn't even in love with it. I was just like, mm-mm. <laughs> Mm. everybody was doing white. And I was just like, Ooh, I think we picked the wrong one. But oh. everybody was like, Oh my gosh, did you see this brand? Oh my gosh, we got to We got to check out this brand. And I was like, okay, maybe it might, it might be working. Hello. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was simple. You know, I think that simplicity, um, people gravitate towards that because it does speak. Oh, maybe that means the product is simple and pure. Yes. You know? Yes. And then we went to where we started to work with retailers. You know, like when I say retailers, not target, or a Ulta or a big name box, but just mom and pop green yeah. boutiques. Yeah. And they were like, the feedback then was it's too simple. Mm-hmm. It's too simple. Or everybody's starting to do all white, not real. And at the time we were doing it before everybody, but they started getting to retailers before we did or yeah. I did. Right. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, I'm being, instead of being ahead of the curve, now I'm behind and I'm trying to catch up and they're like, it looks like everything else. Yeah, so I'm having out. to mm-hmm. re- change the packaging again because it's starting to blend in with everyone else. Mm-hmm. And how do we stand out now? And then we went to the blue packaging. I love the blue packaging, you know, but then it started speaking to men, which was a good thing because then our, we started gravit- men started gravitating towards the blue, but then women felt like mm, it wasn't for them because it didn't, you know, it didn't, it wasn't, it was it didn't, it was blue. Right. Blue. Mm-hmm. So with this one, it would took a little it took a while for me to sit with it because I'm not going to lie to you. I went through five or six um, revisions of it. Three different, three different graphic designers. Oh, wow. You're <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not feeling it. I'm going to get someone else. <laughs> because with every with every reiteration of yeah. it, I feel like Jax was leveling up. I'm just yes. going to be honest with you. We were, we're yeah. growing. Right. And now I'm no longer just wanting to get into mom and pop stores. We're trying to reach a master audience, but our, our target audience. Right. And so I thought about what do you like, Barbara? It's not about the customers. We know that I'm still going to like, let's start with what I like. You know, um, I know I like beautiful packaging. I know I want it to make it luxurious. If we say that this is clean, there's a level of, um, excellence that needs to go behind it. Yeah. Let's make sure that when they touch the box, they feel that. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you touch it, it feels pretty. It's soft, you know, it's, um, and then the ombre effect of it, because the pink radiates, it's, you know, it's a symbol of love. And if we're talking about self-care, why not every time you open it, you have that message to remind you to slay naturally, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to, to take time for yourself. And so we did the different variations of the pink because that one pink just wasn't enough, but there's different shades there's different, um, like as a woman, there's different layers to you, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, some, there's a hood side. Hey, there's the professional side. There's a the girlfriend mm-hmm. side, right? You know, there's the lover side. There's different variations of you and each one of the, and, and even naming our products, because even the names have evolved as well, where I remember we had like lavender love and carrot con leche. But then I, as I started to grow myself, my skincare regimen needed to change as well. Yeah. Um, Cause when you're thinking about black women in skincare, just women of color who have melanin, um, we suffer from hyperpigmentation, which is a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sunscreen just became the norm. Yeah. And then we don't think about protecting our skin as we age. And then acne, we, you still tend to break out. I have mm-hmm. a, 
one of my best friend's dads is, is still, he's in his sixties and he still gets pimples. Mm-hmm. And so this is, you know, an, an ongoing issue, but let's create a skincare regimen that will address those three issues, but in a very slow and elegant way. Right. Mm-hmm. And so number one, you want to heal your skin, right? Number two, you want to nourish your skin. Number three, you want to revitalize it. You want to pour back into it. Sometimes you need to clarify and start all over with the mask. And so those components and the naming of it, of it all plays a major role because it's a reminder to pour back into yourself, but the slow living, you know, Mm -hmm. um, one thing I love about the Caribbean is when you go back, it forces you, if you're not living at, if you're not staying at a hotel, um, is the slow living where there is no no one's in a rush. (laughs) No one's in a rush. No one's in a rush. You know, you get up, you make your coffee, you have your breakfast, you take your time. It's the slowness yeah. where you're able to just check in with yourself and yeah. remember to pour back into yourself before you head out. And there is, you know, you have your timeline or your your day planned out, but it's taking a moment to just be present. Mm-hmm. And so from the feel, the smell, the touch and all of it played a major role in how we designed the entire collection. Mm-hmm. So at this point, um, are you still self-manufacturing? Are you using a co-manufacturer? Tell me some of the relationships you build from a production or manufacturing standpoint that, you know, are more of like mature company type moves versus when you first started and you were doing a lot more things DIY. Yes. Yeah, so um, we're still manufacturing in-house. Awesome. Yes. My yeah. goal is to manufacture in-house. I want to be one of those black on brands that manufactures in-house and we do, we put a hold on it, but we do do private labeling or I okay, used to I'm at least ask you that too. Yeah. 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 Because I think that that is a missing component in the beauty industry. And there are some, some small co-packers that are make that are behind a lot of the brands that you see that are black owned, but I want to do that myself right now. Yeah. We still manufacture and we're temporarily going to co like have a co-packer do it for us while we scale, because it just doesn't make sense until we raise enough capital to do it because it is pricey. Um, but it allowed me to, what that has allowed me to do is to own my formulations. Yeah. Yeah. And then it also allows me to change and tweak it because, um, ingredients change or new things come in and we're able to tweak it in a cost effective way. Um, whereas if we were to go through a manufacturer that's manufacturing it, producing it, packaging it, it's going to cost more money. And because of the way my story started, I didn't start where I was like, let me go to a scientist and get, or a formulator and get this done. We worked with scientists and formulators to help us um, with the formulation. But what this did was it allowed me to get to know the formula and Mm -hmm. tweak it the way the customers like it. Right. So like our cleanser, it's been with me from the day one. And eventually we, we just tweak it from time to time. We'll add, add new things and, and announce it, but it, it has been, this formulation has been the same, mm-hmm. you know, and that has allowed me to be able to play with it without it costing me an arm and a leg Yeah. Um, and keep it still in house. You know, sometimes I like to, from time to time, I'll mentor other mm-hmm. brands where, you know, they'll ask me for advice. And this is the advice that I give them is to make sure you own that formulation. Always. Yep. Always own that formulation because even if the um, manufacturer changes it and you've brought in that formulation, they now own it. And a lot of people don't, don't know that. And so you being able to tweak it 
or at least get a formulated to formulator to formulate it for you. And then you bring it to the co-packer or the manufacturer. At least you're able to own that piece because that's now your proprietary formula. Right. Um, so that's where we are, but we are in the process of outsourcing it temporarily mm-hmm. until we are able to keep it in house because COVID has taught us that you got to own your own stuff, right? Middleman oh, yeah. makes it much harder mm-hmm. when you're running a, con- a, a CPG, a com- you know, a consumer product. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool yeah. that you could in the future be a contract manufacturer. That's an awesome opportunity for sure. I think mm-hmm. barrier, one of the barriers for brands is really that space between doing it themselves and then not having the time to scale and work on the business part if they don't have the amount of, you know, people in-house to really develop. And if they want to just use the pay for the expertise of someone to help them, there's that gap because a lot of, a lot of these firms do require more, right. And there's more competition. So some of the smaller brands have a harder time getting started and scaling because there, there's not that opportunity in between all the time for them to, to scale. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, you can do it. It's just, it's going to cost you, it's you know, gonna cost you. it's going to cost you. And, you know, one of the things at the, with the DIY is making sure you're working with a formulator because putting it in a bottle and then just selling it is one thing. But when you're selling it at a mass is definitely different because you need to make sure you can test the formulas, make sure that what you're claiming is actually it. And then also making sure that, you know, you, you, you're, you're a person of your word. You don't want to just sell products that you don't even know are working or sell yeah. products that are bad. Yeah. You know, that's, trust, that's, and that's trust, right? Trust is a big that's thing. That's the efficacy of the, 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 efficacy. the, the, the form. Yeah. The, yep. That efficacy can girl. Efficacy. Yes. Efficacy. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. So that's really good advice for those who are wondering, like, what does that journey look like? And again, I think it does vary, but I think that's a great answer for the community. Like, do what you can do, do what's within your realm. And as you grow, look for those opportunities to scale. But a lot of things you can do um, on your own. And definitely in, in this case with beauty, get the backing of a formulator, someone who can make sure what you're putting in the bottle um, is effective, it's potent, it's mm-hmm. delivering the claims that you say it's delivering each time so that you're not, um, you know, you're, you're not suffering with your, you're not causing your brand to suffer if something goes wrong. You have the backing of that formulator who's making sure it's all right. Mm-hmm. That's really mm-hmm. great. So what, tell me about the milestone of target.com. That's really amazing. Yes. Where do we start girl? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we recently launched in target in on, in, on August the 1st of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and we launched with six products, um, our three hero products, which is our cleanser to our moisturizer, and then three new products on target, which includes a probiotic face mask, a restorative niacinamide um, face serum, and an acne spot treatment. Um, This is kind of like my second go-around, to be honest with you, with Target. The first Mm go-around, they reached out to me maybe about three years ago, three and a half years ago, that one of the buyers um, emailed me, and I didn't, I really didn't think it was Target. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, who's this fake thing? I don't believe it. They're emailing me? I think because I had a bad call with, with somebody that catfished me, right? Oh, Email catfish. Wow. Um, or you get a lot of spam emails where people try to sell you stuff like, hey, I can get you here. Hey, I can help you with this. And hey, and I got on the call. And I think at that point, I think I maybe have taken, I probably was having a bad week or two weeks or something. And I just, you take these meetings, but the, at the end of the day, when you're running a business, these meetings 
eat up your time. Mm-hmm. And the most valuable asset that you have is your time mm-hmm. because that's how you make money, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying. You're and right. how, how you spend your time and who you give your time with is very, you know, it's valuable. So when you start entertaining, because I get a lot of emails, and I'm sure you probably relate to this, where you get a lot of troll emails and these people are trying to, you get on the call. I remember I even get emails from random like troll investors where you, you're like, okay, you research the company, you have an amazing website, you research them. And then they're like, who are you? And then I'm like, what? I thought what? you knew who I was. That's why we're here. <laughs> exactly. And they send you this amazing email. And I think I got a troll call. I mean, a troll email and I jumped on the call and I was just like over it because they, they sell you with these big, big box retailers, like, you know, put them it, put it in there. We can get you here. We can get you there. Let's schedule a meeting, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, okay. Little old me. They want to, they want to get little old me. Okay. Let's get on the call. And I was just like, 5,000, 10,000. What? Like, what do we, what do we talk about? Like, what is, and then, then I got to fly where, and then I got to come what? to this conference and there's no guarantee. And I'm just like, get off my call. Like get off. So I was, I was just not in the headspace to yeah. receive it. That's when I saw it, it is. <laughs> yeah. it's, let me tell you, when you go into business, there's a lot of scammers. I'm sure, you know, Yeah. but I was just like, mm, let me not respond to this email. And normally I would be like, thank you. Not interested. You know? But I was like, I ain't even for a spawn. Like, this spam. You, you got through the spam. Okay, whatever. And then she was like, hey, Barbara, um, do you really? Are, this is Target. Like, I was like, is this real? <laughs> Hopefully they understand. <laughs> I was like, I'm, is this, you know? And, uh, and she was like, yeah. We, we, and I was like, oh, okay. But it, re- it didn't work out the beginning because I wasn't ready to scale, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't did, have. Did you do any of the accelerators or any, or any no. types of programs like that it's, ever? No, didn't I? I think I applied for one of the accelerators, didn't get in. But what I learned on that call is that I wasn't ready. Yeah. Right. I had the goal of getting in Target, but I wasn't ready in terms of scaling and understanding what that looked like in terms of the marketing dollars that goes behind it, mm-hmm. understanding the strategy that goes behind it, but more so the team on my end, because mm-hmm. we weren't, and I feel like maybe I was. But I didn't understand, like now being in it, like you, you have to be ready. It's yeah. not just get target and then let's go. Where is the money and how, what are you going to do to get in? Like, what are you going to do to market it? And what does that look like? And who are your partners are going to be? And how are you going to share this information to the community to get them excited about it? Mm-hmm. I, I was, I'm hungry, but yes. you know, you don't want to bite off more, more than, than you can chew. chew. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's smart. Um, so I, I, for me, it took, it took, and then when I realized like, dang, I dropped the ball on that one. Mm. Um, I was beating myself up for the longest time because I was like, I don't understand like what I, what I did wrong. And it took me a minute to, you know, like where you go back, um, and ana- analyze what you've done in the call and how you, because I felt like I had the people around me feeding me the information in terms of what to say and get things ready, but I didn't even think about scaling. Right. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about we can get this order out, but target is a game changer. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the orders are not anything to play with. It's not like I'm just sending out a thousand or 500. Like it's, this is, this is mass distribution and understanding what that comes with, um, fulfilling it, what that comes with marketing, what that comes with, like it takes a team and it takes um, a lot of people to put it together. But how, that first how many people around, are on the Jack's team right now to help you it's not a this. lot of us. It's about three of us. It's not a lot. Oh, but wow. when I mean team, I'm talking about like behind the scenes in terms behind of manufacturing. I'm talking about yes. marketing. And and I still feel like I'm dropping the ball. Like we could definitely be doing better. But when you're when you're dealing with a mass retailer, 
you have to show up in a different yeah. way. It's, yeah. it's sink or swim. And mm-hmm. I wasn't ready. And I, and I realized that on the call after being able to sit and I'm like, Robert, what did you do? What did you say wrong? Like, mm-hmm. what, what did you do? Cause the story was there. The products were there. Um, but I really wasn't ready. Right. And then, you know, an, uh, uh, a young lady approached me who's in target now, a really good mm-hmm. friend of mine. And she was like, you know, you got to be ready to do it if you're going to do it. And she, you know, she kind of helped me along the way. Good. Um, and being able to sit and really resolve the existing issues that we had mm-hmm. to scale, because we're still trying to resolve some of the issues, but getting my mind right, because it's been a, a year and a half conversation with Target. Yeah. Um, and then understanding how the buyers think, right? Um because not every door you knock on is going to say yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But then understanding that there's a no for a reason and they may not necessarily want your brand in there and that's okay. But what I had to understand was you were a good target fit because they reached out to you. I didn't reach out yes. to them. Yeah. Right. But I was, I had some holes in, in, in the, in the business that I needed to fill in. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I am small, but I need, they are, they, what I love about Target is that they're working with small brands, particularly indie brands. And it's not just black brands. Yeah. They work with you to scale because they understand mm-hmm. that they're, a, they're a machine, but to, in order to get to that level, you, there, there are, there are steps that you need to take in order to get to that level, that massive level to be able to be in 1200 doors, mm-hmm. to be able to even get 50 doors or get a hundred yeah. doors or 200 doors. And you have a quota to meet each month because you got to move the product. You're not selling just to be on the shelf. Being on the shelf is the goal, but that's just the first, that's just not even, that's just the first part, right? That's the first part. Yeah. (laughs) And you have to drive demand, right? We keep, 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 you know, we keep getting entrepreneurs remind us of this. And I I really want the boss fam to, to hear this. It is a great step, but like you said, you, you wanted to get in there. That's still, that was still the goal, but you realized you weren't ready and it's better to be ready than to get in there prematurely and cause more harm, right. Mm-hmm. For your brand or for the relationship with uh, any retailer. Yeah. Because that's a negative impression on you. It's a, yeah. it's a negative impression on you. Well, you know, you're allowed to make mistakes because not yes. every retailer you're going to excel in. Right. But it does make you, it's like the SWOT analysis. You know what your strengths are. You know what your weaknesses are. You know what the threats are. But when you're, when you run a campaign and it doesn't work, which is what we're going through right now, uh, like why, why didn't it not work? What could you have done better? And Mm -hmm. constantly analyzing, um, to, to do better, right. Um, in a way where you're not beating yourself up because in business, when you fail, that is money. That's money. (laughs) Yeah, you're look there is money and time, but that is a necessary L that you have to take in order for you to be able to, unless you have investors, you're still going to, you're still going to may take an L even investors investing in you. It's, it's a risk. They may or may not even get the money back, but you're, you just have to, sometimes you just take an L and you got to learn from it. Right. Yeah. But so also realizing that I wasn't ready. And when I was, mm-hmm. it took Big me a, a minute to get there. Yeah. So speaking of investors, did uh, how, did you bootstrap up until this point, and are you taking investors now? What's that looking like for you? So I we're not going to say bootstrapped. What we did was we hustled. It's yes. all self funded, right? Mm-hmm. Jax is all self funded. Um, we are looking. We're actually in the process of raising our seed capital right now. Awesome. Um, so that is exciting, but it's also very Work. stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
be up in the middle of the night research it. Um, yes, because we're doing I'm doing the work, right? Yes. But um it is it's all self-funded. And you know, I don't think there's a negative is negative like when you say bootstrapped, we everything that we make go back back into the company. Um it, it's not easy because you know, you got you gotta sell, you know, and there's no there's no additional income coming in and whatever income that we have coming in is you know, it's self-funded. Yeah. yeah, it's to live. So um, I, J- Jax is definitely self-funded and um, we're in the process of raising our seed capital right now. So wow. So yes. you're about to learn a lot and share it with the boss fam. So are you working with a group to help you with kind of learn that process or you're like going to learn it and, and be a part, like lead that yourself? No, I'm not working with a group. Um, not just yet. We'll see. Right. Um, I'm still learning it because before I can get into this um, finance, because bringing in someone into your business is not, it's, it's like having a boss, right? Oh, yeah. Because you're, you've got to be accountable for your numbers and you got to pay the money back. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I'm, like I said, I'm a, I'm a person that loves information. So I need to know what I'm getting Learn myself it. into before I get into it. And number one, and then number two, um, I want to be able to, to know, to basically, yeah, just basically know what I'm getting myself into. Oh, um, yeah. Cause oh, getting yeah. money is, running your business by yourself is one thing. Um, but getting somebody else to give you money is something different. Oh yeah. Um, different and <laughs> it's a different kind of pressure. Yeah. It's a different mm-hmm. kind of pressure. Um, because number one, this person believes in you and believes in the business that they're, they're, they're going to get the return on the investment that you're going to flip it. But then also you having to show up and hustle at a different, you're already hustling now, mm-hmm. but you're going to have to hustle at a different level. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's what we're working on and just trying to find the right investors to make sure that it's, um, you know, a symbiotic relationship mm-hmm. um, and that we're not just taking money from any Joe Schmo. Um, and they understand the plight of being a black woman and what our mission is yes. um, and that they have some type of interest in helping us execute it and succeed, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's next frontier, right? For Jax is really trying to grow your distribution and formalize a lot of a number of things. Yeah. So next frontier is, yeah. So we're raising capital. We're, we're scaling, we're expanding into retail and um, just trying to take over the world one (laughs) customer at a time. One customer (laughs) at a time. We love that. So I'm going to ask, um, and we, we definitely shared some moments of this, but I'll let you crystallize it. What does it mean to be Black on shelf? Black, Haitian, a mom, a survivor. <laughs> what does that mean to be Black on shelf for you? Oh, my gosh. Um, it means power. It means evolution. I, I mean, for me, I feel like it means success mm-hmm. um, because there's not a lot of us here but without the small mom and pop black owned brands that are here to actually provide and create products for that, 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 that actually solve problems in our community is powerful. Um, yeah. So being black yeah. on shelf is powerful because it also resonates. It shows people, everyday people, cause I'm an, I'm a normal girl that you can have a goal a dream and it can, and you can reach that goal. And so, and the goal is attainable. All you got to do is just work. And that's the power of being in the U.S., being coming from an immigrant immigrant family. Right. Mm-hmm. So being one of the I don't and I'm just going to own this. Um, I, one of the first Haitian owned brands on Target Shelf yes. is powerful and it speaks volume in terms of being able to put hard work together and being able to execute it and having a community behind you. Right. 
that recognizes and see, because this is what I want to say to the community is that for those of you that are working hard late nights, for those of you that are maybe clocking in a nine to five or that young lady or that young man that has quit his job and put this, the hustle behind the business, we see you. And even when you don't think anybody's watching you, they are watching you. Yeah. Your name is, your name is in rooms that you have not even entered yet. Because when I tell you that God is real and working hard pays off, it pays off because I'm telling you, I'm just a young little black girl, a little Haitian girl from Liberty city, Miami (laughs) here. This was, this was not in my goal. But once I set this goal and realized this was what I wanted to attain, it is attainable. I mean, it's not going to happen overnight and it may happen overnight for you, but your hard work will pay off eventually. And you may not necessarily, and it may be hard because your family member may not understand it. Your friends may not understand it. You might lose some people along the way, but hold, like, do not lose sight of that goal and do not lose sight of that vision because your hard work, we see you out here in the community. We see your work. We see and it's even more prevalent on Instagram where you're we're highlighting and you see someone that is putting their all into whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah. And the, you can see the fruits of their labor and you don't know where, where that's going to open up and where, where that's going to lead. But when you do see them shine, they shine bright. Yeah. And so for you, that's there working on your side hustle or working on this goal or working on this vision, hold tight onto that goal. And you may feel it may be lonely. It is going to be lonely. But hold on to it, create that community around you that will rally behind you and support you in those dark times, because that light at the end of the tunnel is just around the corner. Yeah, Barbara, you're so real. We are, we're falling in love with you as we speak. You're becoming, <laughs> you know, one of those top entrepreneurs where it's just so real, so accessible. And that's, we need more of that because I think, you know, people tend to think, you know, they don't always exude that power status that can build a brand and get it to all the places that we all dream of. But, you know, you're definitely living proof. And I try to bring folks like you on because we could identify with that. You know, we could identify with that part of us. That's like, oh, I'm going to keep working until this happens. And I think you're such a great example of that mindset of keep working at it, you know, continue to keep the dream alive. You've, you've really made that attitude, that mindset work for you. And Mm -hmm. now we're seeing the fruits of of your labor and it's very inspiring and encouraging for sure. Thank you. And I think, you know, oftentimes we see the, um, the byproduct or the end story. Yeah. And, but we don't know, you know, Disney was homeless drawing the, drawing the, the Mickey mouse, you know, Mm -hmm. um, like the squid games, he, he said he pitched it to, to, to Netflix 10 years Mm -hmm. in a row. And they said, no. Um, it may not necessarily be right now. And I think oftentimes we get frustrated, but I feel like building that community around you to support you and creating that entrepreneur, um, cabinet. And when I say cabinet, right. Mm -hmm. Um, like calling them your business bestie, because I have a, I have a handful of them, (laughs) um, because they help put you on, they help open the doors. They help, they're in places that you are not, and you are in places. So you put each other on. You get to test out different strategies or bounce ideas. These are the people that are going to help elevate you. Um, not the foolishness, you know. Yeah. For you don't have, and then you know, for me, like you have to make these sacrifices. For me, I made a lot of sacrifices, girl. Lord Jesus knows. But <laughs> but I'm starting to see the fruits of the labor, right? Yes, and we, we support that. That that's what we want to root for. More, more and more of that. How yes. can we follow? Where can we follow? 
So you can follow me on Instagram. You can look for me under Barbara Jacques. Um, yes. You can follow me on um, Shop Jack's page on yes. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, but yeah, that's where that's where I, that's where I be. That's where I hang out at. Um, but I definitely appreciate you so very much for allowing me to be a guest on this show and sharing my story. Um, I know my story is not the traditional like oh, three years success, blah 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 blah. Um, but I just wanted to share my real story in terms of having this side hustle and being able to. Um, grow it from nothing into something, yeah. but to encourage those people that feel like they have something, but they just don't know where to start, or they may feel a little discouraged that it is possible. Um, and it just takes a little bit of time, you know, yeah. um, but if you have to go back into get a, get a, get a side hustle job just to pay your bills, go ahead and do that. People may laugh at you, go ahead and do it. You might have, you might, like I said, you might lose some friends along the way. <laughs> you're like girl she want to start a podcast what's she gonna be talking about but yes. they don't get it and that's yeah. not their mission that's not that wasn't placed on their heart but go ahead and do it you're gonna fail lord knows i failed you're gonna fail and you're meant to fail because yeah. that's how you learn that's how you but learn. um that's all i have to say i love it man <laughs> we're gonna have to have you on again because you know i love i love the conversation here i love the learnings i think people will really be supported by it. And we're, do- we're totally going to root for you and support you on uh, all the direct consumer platforms that you're at, especially target.com and make sure they know it was worth it to bring. Barbara oh, it is worth it. We're going to get bring, it. Bring we'll her get on. It. Yeah. So yeah. that's very exciting. Um, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate your transparency. I, I felt it. We, we need that. We need so much more of that. And that's why, uh, you know, we hold this type of space here so that people know the things they're feeling and experience, they're not lonely with it, you know, and some of those things are part of the process. And, and if they stick with it and manage through, they, they can make it to the places they want to go. So I think you totally encouraged us in that vein. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And kudos to you in this podcast for sharing our stories, sharing yes. our experiences and sharing our voice, because without you, how would we able, how would we be able to, um, to, to share this and learn. Right. Yeah. But be able to see ourselves and other people or see our find our find, find inspiration. So kudos to you and congratulations to you oh. because you out here doing it, girl. I get it. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. It's the easiest job alive. I get to hear inspiration <laughs> all day. I love it. I feel so blessed. Honestly. Thank you for joining us on the black on shelf podcast. Visit our website, blackonshelf.com, and subscribe to the show on platforms including Apple Podcast, Spotify, and YouTube, so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on social media at Black on Shelf. If you are a founder or expert, or want to recommend someone interested in being on the show, complete the Boss Podcast request form using the link in the show notes or on our website. If you love the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you inspiring episodes. Finally, if you want more of all things Black on Shelf, join our Boss LinkedIn community to stay connected with other listeners, entrepreneurs, and experts. I want to grow the Boss fam, and I'd love to stay connected with you. Thanks again for listening. All right, catch you next time.